I want to talk to you this morning, though, uh, about ambition. What is your ambition? Uh, uh, some years ago, as a family, we went uh, on holiday, and in the kind of in the place that we were staying, they had, um, as part of the kind of complex, they had free water ski lessons you could just sign up for. I mean, my wife is a brilliant water skier, which I've always been a bit jealous. She grew up in America. They had a lake near her. They would go for the whole summer and just water ski for the... I mean, it's just like, you know... Anyway, that's not the sort of thing I've ever done. So I was always a bit jealous. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for this. Well, I tell you, my ambition at the beginning was just not to break anything. Because I, I, my fear, as, we, as I got closer to the moment, was something... You know, maybe I'm getting a little bit old to learn this. Maybe learning water skiing at my age is not a break... Maybe I'm going to break something or seriously. That, my ambition was that. So I started by that. Then my ambition moved forward. My ambition then became not to look a complete fool because I realized I was learning with like five-year-olds. And so we had a whole range of people and I thought, and all the parents are around and I'm there and I thought, I just don't want to look a complete idiot. I don't want to like face plant in front of everybody. But then our day, as the days went on, my ambition grew. And my ambition finally was that I would be able, because Caroline, right from the beginning, was doing all this kind of stuff, you know, backwards, for, you know. Right from the beginning, my ambition uh, grew to the point where at the end, I was, my ambition was as we came round, because the, the boat obviously loops around, my, as we came round, that I would be able to take one hand off the, off the th- has anyone here been water skiing? You know, it's a very rare, okay. One, take one hand and wave casually to the dock. To the, to, the, to the bystanders as, as I skied round. Relaxed, relaxed. That was my ambition. So, that, so as we looped round, I can glad to tell you I achieved it. It was, prob- <laughs> it was probably more like this <laughs> than it was like this. <laughs> but, I, but I did it. What is your ambition? Now, the reason I ask you that is because I've found so many Christians have an ambition that is way too low. Their ambition is just to get through life, maybe just to provide enough income for the family, maybe just to, just to make it through, maybe to be happy. You know, so often we raise our kids, are you happy? Did you have a good school? Was it fun? Were you good at school today? Was it fun? You know, those are the kind of ambitions that we can have in life. I want to encourage you, your ambition should be to change the world. You were born to change the world. You were born to bring heaven onto earth. What is your ambition? And so I want us to, to look today at, at what does it mean to be blessed, to be a blessing? What does it mean for you and I to change the world and to live with an ambition that by the end of your life, you're going to get to a place where before God you can say, I changed the world. I changed the world because you helped me by your spirit in me. I changed the world. I changed. And you can illustrate how you have done so. We've got this vision that we would build churches across our family where every church is the type of church that raises the type of disciples that change the world. Do you want this church to be that kind of church? I, I, want, I want you to be the kind of church that can take people from any background, whether it's broken, whether it's hurt, whether it's wounded, no matter what's happened to us, that we can come together as a family and be transformed by Christ and then go back out and change the world. That's what we should be doing. But it starts with each one of us believing that God has called us to change the world. And so I want us to look at just a very simple story at how Jesus modeled his life around changing the world and it's the story from uh, Luke chapter 19 
And it's a very uh, well-known story. So if you're not a Christian here today, it might be the first time you're hearing this story. But you need to know it's a famous, famous story uh, that many of us will have heard many times. But I want us to see it with some new eyes. So Jesus entered Jericho, which is a town in Israel, and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very, very rich. What you need to know, for those who are not familiar with the story, is that uh, tax collectors in Jesus' day were absolutely hated. Not exactly super popular now, but I mean, they were out and out, apologies for anyone who works for the Inland Revenue, but they were out and out hated in those days because they were working for an oppressive Roman regime that was basically robbing the people blind to pay for the Roman uh, expansion of the world. And so they weren't exactly popular. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, tax collector, so he was beyond hated. I mean, you know, if, you know, think about the least popular person you know and kind of times that by 10. Hopefully that's not you. But times that by 10, that's Zacchaeus, okay? So that's who, that's who this guy is. He'd become very, very rich, basically by robbing his friends, family, and neighbors. He, he tried to get to look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Another little bit of context is that in Jesus' day, obviously, as we know, in the ancient world, people were a lot shorter. Average height in Jesus' day was somewhere for a man was somewhere between five foot one and five foot seven. So Zacchaeus was sub five foot. <laughs> sub five foot. So I just want to have a shout out for short people today. Because this story proves to you that Jesus loves short people. Maybe even more than tall people. I'll let you draw your own conclusions. But this is a story for you. This is a glorious story for short people. Because Zacchaeus was very, very short, even for his day. And they were short in his day. So, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. For those who aren't familiar, again, that's a word of knowledge. You'd never met the guy before, but God gave him, the father gave him Zacchaeus' name, so he called him out by name. Quick, come down. I must be a guest at your house today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, if he had, he definitely had, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. Now, I want us to look at this passage really through the eyes of Jesus' lifestyle. What did Jesus do to be a person who changed the world. This is a a tiny story, as it were, many stories of Jesus impacting people, changing the world. But this is just one story. I want us to look through this lens. How did Jesus live his lifestyle such that he changed the world through changing this person and, in fact, this whole uh, community through it? Through, through this person? And the the first thing is this, is going. I want you to say going. 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 The first thing is going. The first reality we've got to see about this from this passage is that Jesus was one who was submitted to being sent. This is what it says in verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus understood what his life was about. And the first thing was this. He was submitted to being sent. We, we hear in John 20, it says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus knew that the Father had sent him and he was submitted to being sent. There's a difference between being sent and being submitted to being sent. One goes reluctantly, the other goes purposefully. (laughs) One goes reluctantly. Anyone ever sent their kids to do something that they didn't want to do? (laughs) 
Anyone ever been that child who's gone to do something that you didn't want to do? And you will know there is a difference between being sent and being submitted to being sent. When I'm submitted to being sent, I joyfully line up with that. I joyfully go to do what I've, what I've gone to do. And Jesus does exactly that. Jesus, before he meets Zacchaeus, had had another meeting with his father. And in that meeting, the father had said, go. As the father has sent me. And so Jesus says, I have come. I have come. I have been sent to you. And the reality is this. This is the question. Have I in my heart submitted to being sent? Have you submitted to being sent? Are, are, you, are you kind of reluctantly going or have you, are you submitted to it? Is everything submitted to it? Because you've got to understand that your father, your heavenly father's lens on your life is as one who is sent. So wherever you go, it's not an accident. You are going on purpose, whether you realize it or not. Here's an illustration. I hate buying cars. Anyone else here hate buying cars? I loathe buying cars. I'm paranoid and terrified about buying cars. I have the worst buyer's remorse on a lot of things, but particularly when I buy cars. For some bizarre reason, there's a lot of history there and a lot of pain. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so recently, not this current car, our previous car, our car was getting ready to be replaced and I was starting to panic. And so it was breaking down. I was having to repair it. It was costing thousands, but I was kind of putting it off because I hate buying new cars. Anyway, in the end, I decided I've just got to do this. This is crazy. I just got to do it. So I prayed about it. I sought the Lord. I, I fasted. I, I, I chose I chose a new car, and then we went to go and see that car. Well, that at that morning that we're going to see the new car that night. I see exactly the same car in the car park at the offices. I'd never seen it before. I was like, hallelujah, the Lord loves me. He's, he knows me. He knows how hard this is. This is a sign. This is a sign for me. That it's not, it's, this is the right car. He knows I need it because he knows how vulnerable I am. That night, as we were about to drive to go and see this car, as we're pulling out of our road, another identical car, same color, same model, same make, pulls out in front of us. I'm like, Hallelujah. <laughs> My father knows me. He knows how vulnerable I am. He's, he loves me. He loves me. It was so good. And so we get there. We see the car. It's fantastic. And then we meet the lady. We get to chat to the lady who's selling the car. And suddenly we hear her story. And she is a single mum whose partner has just walked out on her. And she has four kids under seven that she's looking after. And she's selling the car because she needs to buy a bigger car because she can't fit all the car seats in this car. And suddenly the world slows down and I realize something. This was never about the car. This was never about the car. For me, I'm focused about the car and the Lord was taking all my prayers for the car and redirecting them (laughs) onto this woman who got blessed through me praying for a car. Because his focus, yes, was he interested in me getting a new car? Yes, but to be honest, in his mind, that is trivia compared to the eternal destiny of this lady and her kids and the brokenness that she was in. Her partner just decided he didn't want to be a dad anymore. It was all a big mistake. He'd moved back in with his parents, left her to raise four kids under seven with no help. I mean, we were broken for this lady. We prayed for her. We gave her the asking price. We said, we're going to give you money every month for the next year to help you in your situation. She's like, what? 
<laughs> You're going to pay me more than I'm asking for the car. I said, yes. Why? Because we've been in tough situations and people who knew Jesus reached out to us and helped us and we want to do the same for you. You need to know. And I, and I said, I'm going to give it to you every month so that you know every month on the on the what date is your what day what day of the month is your birthday she said the 16th every month on the 16th you're going to know there's a family praying for you and praying for your situation i mean we we realized we we were just kind of bumbling through life but god had sent us and i just wonder how many opportunities do we miss as believers because we're not submitted to being sent because we don't approach our work and our visits to the shops under the, the lens of being sent. Jesus wasn't even going to, he was going to, Jer- he wasn't even there to meet Zacchaeus. He was on a different, but suddenly he, he, he has this revelation. Oh, I've got this guy's name. Oh, the father's talk. Oh, hang on a minute. He diverts from his, because he was submitted to being sent. I was talking with a friend of mine about this whole thing. And uh, his name is Paul. And I said, Paul, he was telling me all that his church does to, to reach out and how he lives his life to reach the lost around him. And I said, Paul, after a while, I got just desperate. I said, Paul, how do you fit it in? How do you fit it in to everything else that you're doing? And he said this, Simon, your question is the problem. That's the point. I don't fit it in. My wife and I decided this is what we were born for. Jesus told us to make disciples, so that's what we do as a family. Everything else fits around that. If anything, it's how do I fit everything else in? I tell you what, he might as well have stabbed me. It would have been less painful. I mean, I'm just, let me hand you a knife and just stab me. You know, it would have been less painful than this because it went straight. Sorry, I don't mean to joke about knife crime, but it would have been, it would have been, it would have been less painful if it physically assaulted me than these words because they went straight to the heart. They went straight to the heart. God is saying to us, guys, this is not something that you fit in. It's about changing our lifestyle so that we are submitted to be sent. And part of me wants to cry out, I don't have time to do this. I've got to, you know, earn money for the family and all of this. But actually, isn't it just about doing the stuff that we do, but doing it with a mindset that we're submitted to being sent? So it's not necessarily about radically changing a lot, but it's the mindset that we do it. Do we go to the shops? Then go as one who's sent. Do we go to the cinema? Go as one who's sent. Do we go to, do we go to work? Go as one who's sent. It's thinking through the lens of, Father, I'm primarily... I'm submitted to being sent. There's other stuff, but that all fits into that calling that I have on my life. And you know what? As we get this, there's an authority that comes when we're submitted to being sent. There's an authority that comes that that Jesus operates in here. You notice how he calls this guy down. He says, I'm coming to your house for tea. There's an authority he's walking. He knows who he is. He knows the father has sent him. I don't know. uh, There was a time some years ago where I sent one of my kids to get the other one from one of the other kids from the other room. And they come back and they're like, they won't come. I was like, you go back and tell them, dad has sent you. Their little chest puffed out. (laughs) Strutted in there. And I heard the conversation this time. You've got to come into the kitchen. I'm not coming. Dad has sent me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you see, when you submit to something, when you're under authority, then you receive that authority. What would it look like for you to walk into your workplace under the authority as one who has submitted to being sent? What would it look like for you to walk into your school, into your university, as one who has not just there because it all happened to work out that way, 
But because you are submitted to being sent there, what would that difference look like in your mindset? So going is the first thing that Jesus has in his lifestyle. And the second is looking. It's interesting that Jesus is on the lookout and he sees Zacchaeus and the father speaks to him about Zacchaeus and that begins this. But it would never have happened if he hadn't been looking. And he actually trained his disciples how to look. If you read in Luke 10, it says this, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be on this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon them. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. If the son of peace is there. Jesus trained his disciples as he sent them out to look for the sons and the daughters of peace. And he trained them specifically how to find them. He says this, look, whatever house you enter. So he says, look for the people who welcome you. He says, what's set before you? Look for those who are willing to serve you. There's some kind of serving connection together. And he says, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Look for those who listen to you. We have to train one another to look for the people of peace that God is putting into our mind. There's so many people out there. How do we know? Well, Jesus gave us clear instructions to his disciples. Find the people of peace. Find the people of peace. And so that's one of the things that we do as a family now. Once a week, we will sit down and we'll talk about our people of peace. We'll say, who is God, you know, in your school, to my boys and uh, to my daughter as she's kind of moving on to university? Who are the people of peace? Carol and I will all go around and talk and we will pray specifically for those people of peace. The small intentional thing we put in about three or four years ago, it has made a massive difference. Just a moment. Sometimes the question is, and so for a while I was like, guys, I haven't got anyone. I just really feel like there, there isn't anyone. So the family would pray for me to find a person of peace in my, in my life. And just it was just amazing. Not long after we began to pray, I was at church, and it's a, a long story. I went to, there was a guy at the back. He was an Iranian. I found out later, standing at the back. And I walked over to him, and, uh, and I said, you know, what, you know, hi, I've been coming a while. Yeah, I've been coming for a few months. I said, why are you standing at the back then? Because he stood the whole service at the back. He said, I can't, I can't go forward because of the wait. I thought, what do you mean the wait? I think he, he meant like the time to wait. He said, no, 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 the wait in the room, it's too heavy to sit on the chairs. I've tried to sit on the chairs, but the weight is like squashing me. It's so heavy in the room. I don't know how anyone sits in the chairs. I'm like, I didn't quite understand. I mean, what do you mean the weight? He's like, can't you feel it? The weight in the room. And I suddenly realized he's talking about the weight of God's glory. And he was like, these people don't understand what they've got. They pray for one another. They, they care for one another. They don't understand. This is not like this anywhere else in the world that I've ever been before. Anyway, so I thought, bing, 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 bing. <laughs> Here's a guy. He's like, what? He's talking to me. How can I learn? From, can teach me. I don't know anything. Teach me. Realized this is a this is a person of peace. Took him out to the took him out to the pub. We started to meet up. Within that, within not many months, he'd given his life to Christ, been baptized, and now a good friend of our family. It's learning to look for the ones that God has put into your uh, your space. Notice that Garrett, Zacchaeus in this story is a genuine peace, person of peace. He's got a hunger. He responds to Jesus' invitation. He wants to listen. Jesus identifies that spirit of the person of peace over him. And it's not always, though, the people that you expect. 
That's the thing to be aware of from this story. Zacchaeus wouldn't be number one of your top list to find in those days. I can't imagine Jesus would have drawn up a list and thought, oh, let me pick up the biggest, most hated troublemaker in the whole city of Jericho. Let's reach him. Who is it? Oh, that's good. No, no, that wasn't a strategic move. It was where the Father was leading him. And so sometimes you've got to be aware that the people of peace won't be the people that you think you want them to be. And again, my, my good friend Paul, he was praying one day about this as he began his journey into this. And he, he told me the story one day he was praying and he was praying as he was praying. He said, God, I need, you know, my kids, my wife have got, has got people of peace that they're working with. I've got no one. And immediately he gets a, a picture in his mind of this guy who was one of his neighbors. Uh, but the problem was this guy was he just one would he wouldn't stop talking. He was a constant talker. And secondly, he was a really struggling alcoholic. And he just thought, Lord, not he's just hard. No, not him. <laughs> he's just hard work. I mean, he's just I don't mind that kind of alcohol addiction. Uh, but, but just and he talks the whole time. He's just slightly annoying. No, not, there's got to be somebody else. So he's praying a bit more. And, uh, and this guy could, wouldn't get out of his mind. He's like, Lord, no, not him. And the Lord spoke to him. He said, when you moved into this house, who were the first couple over to welcome you? It was this guy and his wife. When you held a meal, a barbecue for uh, like all the neighbors, who were the couple who stayed and helped you clear up at the end of it? When you, it was this couple, when you are out in the street and are busy, who is the guy who will stop you in the street and say, hey, tell me about your day. I really, I really, have you got time to connect? Who wants to hear you? You're trying to reach all these people who don't want to hear you. Too much hard work. Anyway, as he's praying, there's a knock on the door. He goes to the door. It's this guy standing at the door. And I kid you not, he's wearing a T-shirt with the brand Disciple written on the front of it. He's like, okay, I'm stupid, but I'm not that stupid. All right. <laughs> You've even arranged his clothing today. So he, he begins to reach out to this couple. He said, when they left that area, this couple, this husband and wife, they both come to Christ. They both uh, got off the alcohol. They were both pillars in the church. In fact, he said, they were our greatest success story in that church. Sometimes we've got to submit to God, who are the people of peace that you're leading me to? They might not look like I want them to look, but who are they? The, th- the, the second thing is, is this. Jesus is on the lookout. What does it look like for you to live your life looking for the people of peace around you? What would that look like? And the third thing is this connecting. Notice Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. He invites himself into his space. And the danger for us in the church is that we're forever inviting those who don't know Christ into our space. We're inviting them to change their time, their diary, their, their get out of their comfort zone to come to our space, come to our thing. And that, that's okay. It's great to be invi- inviting people. That's important. But if we're always inviting others to cross all the boundaries to come to us, who really is being the missionary? <laughs> if everyone else has got to make the sacrifice to meet with us, who really is being the missionary? No, no. There is a role for that. Come and see, Jesus said to, his, to people who wanted to follow him. Come and see. It's fine. I'm not criticizing that. It's important. Come to Alpha. It's important. We've seen that dramatically change people's lives. But there's also got to be a moment where we step into other people's world where we sacrifice our diary and we submit our time and we, we go into places that make us feel nervous. And we've got a good friend of mine, he loves to go to Witchfest every year. He thrives at Witchfest. thinks it's fantastic. The first time he we went, he was absolutely scared and terrified. But he's now a regular member at Witchfest because he wants to step out of his comfort zone. He knows the people he's trying to reach are never going to come to church. They think the Christians hate them. 
He's got to go into their world. What does it look like for you? And yours will be, be different, or you can all rock up to Witchfest as well, or whatever it is. Um, but it's probably different to you. And, and the reality is this. It's recognizing that, that we have to make this space to connect. Sometimes that's inviting people in, sometimes it's going to them, but it's making this space to connect. What, what's interesting, in the, and Cesar Kalinowski is a brilliant thinker on this stuff, makes this point, that three times Jesus says why he came. Luke 19, we just read, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Matthew 20, the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. But there's a third time in Matthew 11, which says this, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. The first, the first two... No, no, you're, you're going to like this point. The first two were Jesus' purpose, but the third was his method. Eating and drinking. One of your most potent missional abilities to reach people who don't know Christ is to eat and drink with them. Can I have an amen, a hallelujah, wave a handkerchief or something? The people here who feel like you are the worst at reaching and changing the world around you, but you like eating and drinking, or you like cooking. Glory to God. He has put in your belly a missional engine. All you've got to do is submit it to being sent. Submit that to being sent. And what did Jesus say? Instead of just inviting your friends and your family and those who can invite you back, you invite people who can't invite you back. And you go to places that they can't invite you back. They're spiritually, the emotionally, the physically poor. Eat with them. That's what, that's what Jesus did. The first two were his purpose. This is why I've come. But the third was his method. In fact, they even called him a glutton and drunkard because he did it so much. He connected with people over food. And you know what? Particularly in Western culture, food is really an add-on so often to our busy lives. And you get that when you, know, if you do any work in France where they have two hours over lunch. Actually, my dad, when I was growing up, used to kick me under the table because we would eat too fast in front of the guests. You know, so he would kick me, slow down, because it was just em- embarrassing. Because for me, food is just, just, just gets in the way of doing tasks. <laughs> Anyone else in there? <laughs> but there's actually a missional mindset to actually making the tables that we sit around a place for intentional discipleship for taking people on a journey, for asking great questions, for going to the heart, to slow down. And, I, and the Lord has really trained me. We had one as a friend of one of my sons who was literally the slowest eater in the known universe. I kid you not. I kid you not. There was one meal where the ent- our entire family had finished their meal before this person had taken a single bite. They would, it, was, it was almost comical. They would lift the fork up to the plate, mouth, and then they would start talking and put it down again. <laughs> and they would have lifted it up. So we finished our entire meal. I know I was going literally painstakingly slow. I was like, almost got the razor out to slice the meat so thin so I could eat it any slower. But the Lord was showing me, slow down. He brought that person to disciple me. Slow down and connect. What does it look like for us to make spaces to connect? Or to do the things that we do, but use them intentionally. You love playing golf? then bring those that the Lord is calling. You love going water skiing, then call others into it. What does it look like to do your passions, eating, connecting in whatever way, but to invite the world around to do it? And when you're submitted to being sent, that becomes natural. When you're submitted to being sent, that becomes natural. And Jesus again and again uh, does this. What does it look like for us? What does it look like for your church 
to eat for the glory of God. <laughs> this is an exciting message. But to connect and to make space to connect in whatever way. That's what Jesus did. He connected with people in all sorts of ways. Now, you've got 21 natural opportunities if you eat three times a day to make space in some way. To take 45 minutes for lunch instead of half an hour. Hey, I'd like to meet. Why don't we chat? What, what is it? What is it? What, would the, what difference would it make in our lives if we were to do this? And then the last one is this. Going, looking, connecting, and imparting. Jesus imparts something to Zacchaeus. He, his spiritual gifts are on fire. He calls him out by a word of knowledge. That would have woke him, woken him up. It's recognizing that the gifts of the Spirit are not just for Sundays. You guys know this, but for outside, for the marketplace, for the workplace. Recognizing that God's gifted us for these things. And then he imparts something. And in this conversation, we don't know what he imparts to Zacchaeus. All we see is the outcome. We don't know what the conversation looked like. In other situations, we do. But on this one, I tell you what, something, it looked like something because Zacchaeus does a 180 degree on his entire life over dinner. We don't know what Jesus said, but we know that he imparted something to him. And so often Jesus brings a challenging comment or asks a provoking question. Uh, have a whole message which I gave at King's Arms about the power of asking questions. So often as believers, we want to have the right answer. Whereas if you look at Jesus, most of the time he asks just the right question. Jesus was, was, was asked 187 questions. He, he, sorry, Jesus asked himself 303 questions. He was asked 187 questions, and he, actually, he only actually answered three of them. Yeah. If the Son of God, who knows everything, was asking over 300 recorded questions, is that a lesson for us? So many of us of the church are paralyzed in our reaching out because we think, I've got to have the right answer. I've got to have the right answer. I've got to know, I've got to know all the answers. No, no, no. You've just got to pray and ask God for the right question. There is a world out there that is desperate for someone to listen to them, for someone to hear their story. And before you can make the right statement, very often you've got to have heard an answer to the question. Sometimes the impartation is just through a question. What does it, what does it look like to, in every conversation you're in, be praying, Jesus, give me the right question. Give me the right question to ask you that will move this relationship on a step. And here's the other thing that I've learned in this whole thing. You know, anyone know what a Rubik's Cube is? You know a Rubik's Cube? This is something that I didn't know, but I learned recently, is that no matter how messed up a Rubik's Cube is, it can be solved in 20 moves. Isn't that incredible? No matter how messed up a Rubik's Cube is, it can be solved in 20 moves moves. In fact, I've seen my son solve it in eight moves when it isn't very messed up. But if it's really messed up, it's, but the maximum is 20 moves if you know what you're doing. What's the point? There is a point. <laughs> the point is this. All you've got to know is what's the next step. And then what's the next step? And then what's the next step? And what's the next step? The problem is most people don't know what the next step is. Otherwise, you could solve a Rubik's Cube in 20 moves. Any Rubik's Cube in 20 moves. But most people don't know what the next step is. The good news for us when it comes to things of faith is we have the Holy Spirit. And he always knows what the next step is. And he always knows what the next step for someone is. Now, they might not be willing to take that step, but that's up to them. But he can help us encourage them on that next step. So this is something that I've learned. 
is whenever I'm connecting with those who don't know Christ, whenever I'm looking to bring a change with those who don't know Christ and those who do, the step that I have to do internally is say, Holy Spirit, what's the next step? What's the next step for them? And we've seen such profound uh, impact as we've done that. You know, just a few examples. Ethan, my youngest son, he has a friend. Uh, his person of peace is a guy called James. And James is, his, is a good friend of his. They play badminton. In fact, I take them to a little group on Wednesday nights. And uh, they play badminton together. And he's really reaching out to, to James. And one day we were talking about James and I was saying, Ethan, what's the, what's the next step? He said, well, he said, to be honest, I don't even want to be friends with him at all. He's such a ba- bully. He bullies me at badminton. He says mean things to me the whole time. I said, I never knew that. It's, he said, it's, yeah, it's horrible. I don't know if I want to even be friends with him anymore. I said, why don't we pray about the next step? I think the next step is him to become a nicer person and stop bullying you. Otherwise, you're not going to have a relationship to be able to continue this. He was like, okay, let's pray. We prayed. A couple of weeks later, we go to badminton. He comes back. He's like, he said, it's like someone's flicked a switch in his head. He's become the most encouraging person I know. After every shot, it was almost embarrassing how encouraging he was being. Even bad shots he was saying were good shots. Something has happened on It was just an incredible encouragement. I said, well, what's the next step? He's like, well, he swears like a trooper. He like, swears all the time, like the air is blue. I was like, right, let's pray for that. So that's our next target. What's the next step for people to move forward on their journey? Sometimes the next step doesn't seem to, to go anywhere, but that's okay. We trust God. Uh, a friend of mine, I may have told you this story before, but a friend of mine, Steve, he gave a, a, a book to a friend. I think it was 15 years ago. A friend he was reaching out to, he felt the Holy Spirit say, give him this book. Anyway, he then lost touch with this guy. After a few years, then lost touch with him, didn't hear from him. Uh, last year, the guy called him up and he said, um, he said, he was like, how you doing, mate? He said, and he said, well, it's not been great. He said, my mum got killed in a car crash. And uh, I, um, uh, but I, on, it was three months ago. He said, but after the funeral, I saw the book you gave me and I picked it off the shelf. It was Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And he says, as I read that book, he said, I've got one question. What would it look like for me to follow Christ? Could we meet up and talk about Well, the guy's given his life to Christ now? That book sat on his shelf for 15 years. 15 years. But you see, the kingdom is like a seed. Once it gets planted in the ground, who knows where it'll go? That's actually not our responsibility. Our responsibility is simply to pray, Lord, what's the next step? And be submitted to follow that. Follow that. And then we, and sometimes then God gives us another step. Or sometimes that was the last step between you and they. And actually... The seed now just stays in the ground until they respond. God's looking for a response. What's the next step? Caroline and I were you know, with a family in a restaurant a few years ago. And uh, we, as we walked into the restaurant, I don't know about you, but there was just an immediate connection with the, with the waiter. It was just like, it was like we kind of reconnected with someone we'd never kn- we'd known before, but we'd never met him before. It was this bizarre experience. So I had to go leave early. So I said... To, the, to Caroline as I was rushing off, there is something with the waiter. Just you guys pray and see if you get anything for him. So they had a quick prayer as a family, and Caleb immediately says, I see a, a picture of a ship um, in, a, in a storm. And, uh, and I just feel like there's something about that and kind of some trauma for him. So Caroline, as he comes up to, she comes up to pay the bill, she says to him, look, I know this is a bit strange, but we often hear from God for people. And God just spoke to my son about you and said he saw a picture of a ship in a storm. Um, have you, does that mean anything to you, some kind of trauma? 
he said, it really does. I, my, I think it was his brother or as a cousin or something was killed in a, in a shipping, in a, like a yachting accident, was killed in a storm uh, some years before. And it was just this powerful moment um, over this situation with, with, with the storm. You see, the next step in that situation was simply to pray and ask God for a word. What does it look like for you and I to be submitted to being sent to go, to look, to find those people of peace, to ask God, to connect, to make space to connect with them, and then to impart something. And as you, as you do that, and I want to commission you, I think this is important as Paul, and Paul comes into eldership and we pray for Paul and Pam, because I know this is so on their heart. As you as a church embrace this, I really feel that God's going to fill this place with those people of peace who've come through who've connected with you and come through to faith in Christ and join with you. People at the moment who are, whose hearts are miles away from even thinking about God, he has called you to reach them. And I'd allow us just to take a moment to pray for that. Amen.